You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So hear the word of the Lord. So when Jesus left there, um, He withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. And just then, a a Canaanite woman from that region came out and kept crying out to him, saying this, Have have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is, is severely tormented by a demon. And Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she's crying out after us. And he replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And Jesus answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus replied to her, woman, Your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness that all of us have experienced over the course of these last few days. We give thanks for how you're sustaining and keeping us, God. And Lord, as we've, we've prayed, we, we pray you would bring an end to this virus, that there'll be ways we can find a vaccine or some kind of way to where this virus can come to an end quickly, Lord. But even in the midst of this, God, may you continue to do a deep work in us, that we would pay attention to what's coming to the surface, Lord, and ask you to come and redeem and renew. And may we do that for the purpose of, of sending us out so that we can love our neighbors well, care for them, See those people that are in need and provide for them. So once again, God, we need your help. Help to understand what you're saying in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do this morning. And and hopefully as we read through this passage of Scripture together, you you felt a little surprised. You felt um, a little confusion. Maybe Maybe it disturbed you a little bit, and if those are some of the feelings that you experience as we read through this text, uh, I think you're, you're, you're being honest with what's going on inside of you as we read this. And so I think what we see in this story, and this is where I'm camping out, I think in this story, and what I think Jesus is trying to help us see is Jesus is trying to help us see what kind of faith that Jesus is inviting us into. Uh, the very last verse there, verse 28, is where this entire story is leading up to, and it's in that passage or in that verse there where Jesus looks at the woman, and we'll, we'll get kind of to show the, the weight of what he says here in just a minute, but he looks at the woman and says, you have great faith, and that's the only place in the entire Gospel of Matthew where Jesus looks at someone and says, you have great faith. And so what we need to do is work ourselves backwards to find out why is he saying that? Why does she have great faith? What is it that Jesus is seeing here? And this is what this text is about. There's a, 
there's a type of faith, um, a kind of faith that Jesus is inviting us into. And I want to show us what we can learn here. And so before we jump in, just real quick, I want to make sure that all of us are sort of on the same page when I talk about faith. So, so even a synonymous word that I would use here when we think about faith, specifically in this passage, is the word trust. And so when I talk about faith, I'm not talking about a generic kind of general faith that our culture has a tendency to use that encompasses all kinds of religious beliefs. I'm talking about a specific active trust in a person, and that person is, is Jesus Christ. So our trust always has to have, you know, a a, a, a um, something that's outside of us, a person that we're putting our, our faith in, our trust in. So it's not just this standalone kind of functions on its own. It's not some kind of Star Wars force, so to speak. No, I'm talking about when I'm speaking of faith, I'm talking about the active trust in Jesus, who he says he is and what he has done for us. And so that's kind of synonymous. And you'll even hear me throughout this message kind of using faith and trust in the, in the same way. And so whenever you hear trust, think faith. When you hear faith, think trust. All right, so hopefully that keeps us on the same page here. So I just want to go back up, start in verse 21, work through uh, the passage real quickly here and just land on uh, what I believe Jesus is trying to help us see from here. So starting in verse 21, look what, is, what Matthew says here. So leaving that place, so leaving where he was when he had this big dis- debate with the, with the religious leaders, uh, Jesus wanted to get away and get alone and retreat. So Jesus withdrew it to this, this region of Tyre and Sidon. And the only thing you really need to know about that is this is Gentile territory. So he's, he's making a pretty long trek up to a kind of northern part sort of, of where Israel is. And, and he's in Gentile territory. And he's trying to get away and retreat. And then look what happens in verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out. And this is what she's saying. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. So, so this is a, a cry of a desperate mom who has a, a child who's suffering greatly from some kind of demon possession here. And so Jesus enters into this Gentile territory, and uh, this woman is so desperate that she runs out to him. And so, so I want you to see, sometimes we can you know, run through this verse really quickly and not know the context of the background and not see the significance or the weight of her actions. And I want you to pay attention to sort of all these barriers, all these, um, these things, uh, restraints that would, would speak to her not to go and approach Jesus, to, that would kind of hold her back from ever even going and asking Jesus to do something for her. So the first is this, is she's a woman. And I know in our time, in our culture, that doesn't really mean a lot. But in this time, in this culture, it was a huge no-no for a woman to approach a man. And that's what she's doing. She's the one that's coming out, going after Jesus. And not only is she a woman, she is a Gentile. And in this time, Jews and Gentiles did not get along very well. There was a whole lot of racial tension. And so a Gentile would never approach a a Jew, and a woman would never approach a a, a man. So you got... Two big strikes there. And here's the third big strike, because Matthew makes sure that we know this is a Canaanite woman. So she's not just a Gentile. She's not just a female. But this this is a Canaanite woman that's running out to Jesus. The, The Canaanites were their most persistent enemy of Israel 
in the Old Testament. God drove the Canaanites out before Israel, and their idolatrous religion was a constant threat to the purity of the people of God. And so, so Canaanites would be synonymous with enemies of Israel, and they would be dangerous to Israel's faith. So this is everything. She's a woman. Never approach a male. She's a Gentile. You don't ever go to a Jewish rabbi. And on top of all that, she's a Canaanite. So these are all the things that are, would be inside of her that would be constraining her and, and speaking to her and saying, don't go to him. He won't have anything to do with you. He won't listen to you. You need to just stay in your house and just deal with it. Do not go out and ask a Jewish rabbi, a male, to help you. That's, that's all that would be going on in her. But what does she do? She runs out after Jesus, crying out to him to have mercy. Heal my daughter. And then look what happens in verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Silence. Nothing. Doesn't say a single word to the woman. It's almost like the text would read, or you can kind of imagine, it's almost like Jesus just keeps walking. So here's this woman running out to Jesus, crying out for mercy, and Jesus just basically ignores her and just keeps walking. Silence. And then it goes on. It gets even kind of worse. So the second half of verse 23, read this. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, right? For, for she keeps crying out after us. So, so you even have, not only is Jesus ignoring her, but then you have these disciples who are, you know, I think you can kind of read here that they're sort of annoyed with her. And so I don't, you don't know whether the disciples are coming and saying, hey, would you grant her her request so she'll leave us alone? Or if the disciples are just wanting her just to say, like, would you just tell her to get out of here and go on and leave us be? So whatever it is, there's not empathy or compassion that's coming from the disciples. And so what does the woman do? What does she do? She keeps crying out. She keeps coming to him. She keeps crying for mercy. And then we see in verse 24, Jesus finally responds. And what does he say? I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So now you got to keep reminding yourself of this context so the surprise of this text kind of lands on us. So here's a woman, a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman who has a daughter that is demon-possessed, painful, whatever's going on there. She runs to Jesus cries out for mercy. Jesus doesn't respond, completely silent. The disciples say, would you please get rid of her? She keeps crying out. And then the very first words that come out of Jesus' mouth is not this. He doesn't say, oh, man, I hear you, sweet daughter. I hurt with you. And at this moment, your daughter is healed. No, what Jesus says to her is basically, we're not even sure if he's saying it to her or to the disciples. All we know is that both can hear this. And in essence, he just says, I'm not sent here for you. That's not my mission. 
So what in the world is going on? What does Jesus mean here in verse 24 when he says that I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel? Once again, as we see, see in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is defining for us his mission. And he, in case we forget what that mission is, he specifically said this in Matthew 10, verses 5 through 6, when he says this, the 12, uh, these 12 Jesus sent out, talking about his followers, his disciples, with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather, same language that he uses here in verse 24, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. So guys, look, Jesus is, had a very specific calling and mission. He wasn't just this traveling physician that would heal everybody. He came in contact, and he wasn't this itinerant preacher, so to speak, going around and preaching. He had a specific mission. God's people, the nation of Israel, needed to know that God was now at last fulfilling all of his promises. And God's promises were a renewed relationship with him on a renewed earth. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of heaven which the Jews prayed for, waited for, longed for, and was going to come in and through Israel. And that is why Israel must hear the message first. If Jesus and his disciples had simply begun an indiscriminate mission to the wider world before God's purposes have unfolded, they would have made God a liar. And that is why Jesus and his followers limited their work almost entirely to Jewish people. And so look, Jesus is not saying here that she's not a part of the plan. It's just not yet. There's a broader story of the Bible, and that broader story is that in and through Israel, the blessing will spread to the world. And once Jesus goes to Jerusalem, dies on the cross, is buried and resurrected in Matthew 28, he speaks to his disciples and says, go into all the world and announce this blessing this good news. So that's what he means here. Like, I'm, I haven't come for you, right? This is not my main mission. But here's the point. Look what she does. Look what the woman does. She persists. She stays at it. She continues on. Verse 25. The woman came and knelt before Jesus and said again, Lord, help me. Help me. Have mercy on me. And then look at verse 26. And then Jesus replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. I know. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm reading it again for the, probably the 15th time of this week, and I'm just going, oh, my, wow. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? I mean, some commentators try to soften this by noting that Jesus uses the word for uh, kind of like the house dog. He's not using the word that would describe like a kind of like a mangy mutt, so to speak, you know. So, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a word that's used for kind of like a little house dog. So think of, a, you know, a shih tzu or I just like saying that word or a, a chihuahua. You know, I don't know how I think that's. Those are, I think Chihuahua is a little dog. I'm kind of losing my brain up here. But uh, so, so look, so, so yes, that is the, the word that he uses here. But I, 
Like, it doesn't matter what kind of word he uses of a dog. It's still kind of insulting. And it seems harsh, especially when it's spoken by Jesus. So here's what we know, guys, all right, to kind of make sense to this little phrase here. Here's what we do know. We know that Jesus is not being cruel here. He's not trying to uh, disrespect, for, disrespect her or not show dignity and worth and value to her. And the reason why we know that is, number one, this is not how the story ends. So the story doesn't end at verse 26. And so obviously something else is going on here. And God's trying to draw something else out of her. All right? So, so we know that this is not the case. That he's being cruel because the story doesn't end there. But when you look at the fuller revelation of who Jesus is, this is not who he is. This isn't his character. So something in this dialogue, in this kind of like um, sort of playfulness in Jesus' tone that we can't hear because we can't see it. Because it seems that Jesus is trying to pull something that's, that is in her, but she can't see it. And he wants her to see it. And so I just want to back up again. So follow this. Follow the flow here of all the obstacles that keep coming up for this Canaanite woman. She's a woman. She's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. Everything about her would say, don't go. Don't run after him. Don't cry out. But what does she do? She runs after him, cries out for mercy. Then Jesus says nothing. What does she do? She keeps coming. The disciples show no compassion, no empathy. Get her away. She's annoying. What does she keep doing? She keeps crying out. Then the first response, the first words we get out of Jesus is basically, no, I'm not here for you. What does she do? She keeps coming. The second response that comes out of Jesus feels sort of like an insult. And then look what she does again in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She pushes back. I mean, that's what she's doing here. This is a, a feisty response from this Canaanite woman. She argues, in essence, with Jesus. So it's almost like says, she's saying this, like, I get your plan. Like, this is what's so profound about this. This Canaanite woman understands the plan of Jesus even more so than the 12 disciples. She's going, I get the plan. You're the Jewish Messiah. She called him the son of David, which was a specific term that the Jews would call the coming Messiah. You are the Jewish Messiah coming to announce the good news to the Jews first. But I also know the promise of Abraham. And the promise of Abraham said this, that through you, God would bless the nations. So she's saying this, I know I'm getting ahead of the plan, but I'm wanting my blessings now. Yes, the children eat the bread first. You know, a good dad feeds the children first, but even the household dog gets the crumbs from the table. Amen? The little dog shares in the blessing of getting fed just like the children. And so this Canaanite woman is saying this, Jesus, give me some of the crumbs. That's all I need. And then verse 28, which is the climax of this whole passage. 
Then Jesus answered. You don't see this in the English translation, but verse 23, verse 24, verse 26, all say this, but he replied, but he replied, but he replied. And then now in verse 28, it changes the language and it says, then at last Jesus replied, and this is what he said, woman. It's an affectionate term. It's, it's with emotional force. It's almost like, oh, dear woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Oh, dear woman, you have great faith. Jesus says this about no one else. Remember the disciples a few chapters before that, he calls them little faith. Even the centurion guard in Matthew chapter 8, I think, he speaks highly of his faith, but he speaks specifically, says there's no faith like this found in Israel. But only to this woman does he say, you have great faith. Can you imagine, just for a minute, how this must have felt for her within her own soul to hear from the mouth of the one who created her, who's sustaining her right now at this moment, who deeply loves her and looks in her eyes and says, you have great faith. One commentator says this, and I don't think it's on the slide. It's one of those things I added at the last minute. But listen to what he says here. And the refusal to accept the traditional Jewish exclusion of Gentiles from the grace of God, she has shown a truly prophetic grasp of the new perspective of the kingdom of heaven, which is now to be open to all peoples on the basis of their faith rather than their racial identity. It is that perception which has won the argument. So just... Follow again, hear this. Think about all the obstacles, all the barriers, all the the constraints that would be just yelling at her, stay away, keep back, don't approach, don't talk, don't cry out. She's a woman, she's a Gentile, she's a Canaanite, but she still ran after Jesus. Jesus was silent. Doesn't say a word. She keeps coming. The disciples say, get rid of her. She's annoying. She's driving us crazy. What does she do? She keeps coming. Jesus' first words out of his mouth about this situation was basically, no, I'm not here for you. His second response feels like an insult. In, in all of these, what does she do? She keeps asking. She keeps seeking. She keeps knocking. She's persistent. She's determined. She's gritty. You see it in the passage, it goes from ignoring her to honoring her. Jesus goes from passing her by to praising her. So what is it? What is, what is this crazy, bizarre chapter? And I don't feel like I've done justice on answering all the questions that are in there, and that's why you're in groups and encourage you to kind of sit with this thing and think about it and process it. And, and hopefully there's things in here that's kind of bothered you and disrupted you because I think we want to, 
domesticate Jesus and not allow him to be who he's revealed himself to be. And so it's good for us to kind of wrestle with passages like this that kind of has a way of kind of blowing up all these preconceived ideas that we have about who Jesus is. But here's what I'm just asking. I'm just landing on one thing and then we're done. This will be quick. What is this invitation here? And I like the language of invitation, especially during a season like this where where we feel like there's all kinds of voices within, even within us that's indicting us all the time of what we're not doing, what we should be doing, not doing this enough, not doing this well, not doing like so. So I don't want to come to a passage of Scripture and, and lay some more indictment on us. I think there's a place for that and there's conviction. It's all good. But I want to use more of the language of curiosity and invitation. What is the invitation here? What is he wanting us to see? Well, here's in part. I'm not giving you an exhaustive answer here, but I do think the thing that Jesus wants us to see is the true nature of faith. And the true nature of faith is this. It hangs on. It, it perseveres. It, it grabs a hold. It sticks to it. It doesn't give up. That's the true nature of what we would, I'm using language, like I said at the very beginning, of active trust. What is this? What is this faith that Jesus is wanting us to have? It's a faith that, that holds tight. That's what we see with this woman. All of us have experienced exactly what this woman has experienced. We've all been, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you've all been in situations where you've been absolutely desperate and at the end of any resources that you have. And what you instinctively do is you cry out for help. Whether you believe in a God or not, like you cry out upward. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been in those situations where, man, I am done. I'm at the end of my ropes. God, have mercy on me. And then what you hear is silence. Every single follower of Jesus Christ have experienced what this woman has experienced. And then not only do you hear silence sometimes from God, then even the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, or a.k.a. other Christians, come in and they don't offer any help. They actually don't offer compassion or kindness or care. They're kind of annoyed with you and they want you to get you know, somewhere else. That doesn't help a whole lot. Then you keep getting confusing and not sure what God's doing here. It's kind of mysterious. All of us have experienced this, and every single one of us, including me, have been tempted to say, I'm done. We give up. We push the eject button. We walk away. We call it quits. And I don't know about you, when, when I've read through this passage of Scripture, I, I mean, I would have stopped pretty early. What about you? I mean, I would have quit after the first no. It's like, all right. I would have quit probably after silence. But this woman hangs on. She pursues. She's persistent. She hangs on to a belief about Jesus, that he is good, and that Jesus will do what is right, that he will not only, he is good, but that he will be good. So she asks, she pleads, she argues back. She pushes back on Jesus. She persists. She keeps coming. And then Jesus says to her, that is great faith. That is great faith. You see, if you're anything like me, and maybe, maybe you've done this before, what we have a tendency to do 
is look at someone who prays for something and they get it, and we have this conclusion of, oh, wow, they must have great faith because they prayed for it and they got it. In fact, what Jesus is helping us see is this, is that when you pray and you don't get it, and you pray and you don't get it, and you keep praying and you keep praying, and 10 years down the road you're still praying, Jesus looks at that and says, oh, dear woman, that's great faith. Because great faith hangs on. Faith is not some naive, peppy thoughts about God. No, faith is holding on when it feels like you're drowning. Faith is to choose, to trust that God is good even in times when it doesn't seem like he's good. That's the true nature of faith. That is great faith. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Frederick Beekner, uh, which is an interesting last name, feel bad for him. Maybe he got made fun of when he was young. All I can think about is Beaker from uh, the Muppets. Is that right, Beaker? Is that it? Yeah. Uh, I got a few people in there laughing with me, so it makes me feel a little better. But man, he's a great author, writer. He's a Presbyterian pastor, theologian. And he once said this, this is not in the quote yet, so hang on with the slide. He said this, he said, if, that if, you, if you say you hear God talking to you every day on every subject, you're either trying to pull the wool over your own eyes or everybody else's. Well, that's challenging. Did you hear that? That if you say you hear God talking to you every day on every subject, you are either trying to pull the wool over your own eyes or everybody else's eyes. And he continues with this comment, and continues on and says this, and this is where you can see it on the screen. You should wake up in your bed and ask, can I believe it all again today? Or better yet, ask yourself that question after you have scanned the morning news, seen all the atrocities that get committed, seen all the COVID-19 updates that we're dealing with today, and if your answer to that question of belief is yes every single day, then you probably don't know what believing God really means. That's pretty powerful. We can probably sit with that for a little while. At least five times out of ten, the answer should be no. Because the no is as important as the yes, maybe more so. The no is what proves your human in case you should ever doubt it. And then if some morning the answer happens to be really yes, it should be a yes that's choked with confession and tears and great laughter. And then David Brooks in his book, Two Mountains, goes on and comments about this quote and says this, commitment to faith then is persistence to faith through doubt. It is persistence in faith through suffering and anxiety. It is persistence in faith through struggle and persistence in faith through all the idiots and immoral cretins who speak for faith. It is persistence in faith despite the occasional idiocy of churches that are supposed to be the homes of faith. So look, here's, here's all I'm trying to say and I'm done. Jesus is inviting me and he's inviting you 
to trust him, to keep coming to him. Don't give up. Jesus is inviting us into a kind of faith and a trust that's rigid, that's determined, that is persistent. So I don't know what is going on in your life, in your world. Maybe you're, yeah, maybe you're lonely and you long to be married. Keep asking, keep coming. Maybe your marriage is struggling and that's probably even put on a greater spotlight during this um, quarantine. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep crying out. Maybe you desire deeper relationships with people and the Lord doesn't seem to bring any friends in your life. Keep asking, keep coming, keep knocking, keep seeking. Don't give up. Faith hangs on. True faith hangs on. Confident that Jesus is good and such faith is inevitably helped. That's what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. So this is what I would encourage you to consider. What if, what if, through the very circumstances that make you want to leave your faith behind, to be done, to push the exit, little button, so to speak, Jesus is actually trying to draw out of you a deeper faith, to ignite in you a type of faith and trust that you have never had before. What if that is what Jesus is doing? He's trying to refine your faith, grow your trust, strengthen your faith, deepen your trust more and more, more so than what you can even imagine to be possible. What if that's what Jesus is doing with his answer of no? Faith hangs on, driven by what we know to be true about God. He is able, he loves you, he's for you, he is good. Hang on, keep coming, keep crying, keep seeking. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.